the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 2. This is an extreme delight and privilege and high honor to welcome the two guests in studio that I have in studio with me. And uh, this is going to be a a different kind of conversation, but one that I think is hugely important right now. It is a delight to welcome into studio the uh, Speaker of the Arizona uh, State House of Representatives, uh, Mr. Ben Toma. It is also uh, a delight to bring in the Chairman of the House uh, State House Judiciary Committee, Quan Nguyen. Both gentlemen um, share a unique story on the things that matter most importantly, uh, and that is ideologically. And we are facing an ideological threat in this country. Uh, Both their families and themselves fled communism. And I thought it would be a tragedy of their experience, a tragedy of their... um, their official elected offices and their abilities to not have a serious conversation with both of them about the threat of socialism and communism that we face, not from people who read about it in a college or in high school, or not from people who heard about it from privileged Congress people from Minnesota or uh, Michigan or New York, but from people who fled it, who lived it, who know what it was. Uh, so, uh, Speaker Toma and Chairman Nguyen, welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you Thank very you, much. Thank you. Um, Speaker Toma, I'll do this for you, uh, Chairman Nguyen, in just a moment. little autobiography. You've been here before. You've given a little of it before. But for setting up this conversation, how your family knew and experienced and fled communism, and then I will do the same with uh, Chairman Nguyen. Sure. Well, the very brief version is uh, I was born in 78 in uh, what is uh, co- what was communist Romania. Uh, my parents were evangelical Christian, and that was unacceptable to the communists. Um, eventually, because of uh, the nature of my dad's work, the, I still remember as a little, as a little child, I would think I was six or seven, uh, we, had, we started having the secret police started showing up at our house, which wasn't normal considering we lived in a very small little town and and so everybody knew everybody so these these people were very strange and they would come and they would come sometimes when my parents weren't home and they would just sit there with us and wait for my parents to come home and um and this started happening more and more my parents finally saw the writing on the wall which was uh, ultimately we 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 had heard the stories we had seen and known people that uh you know once these visits started happening shortly thereafter they would disappear no one would ever see them again and so my parents found a way to get out um, uh, by, by a miracle. Uh, uh, I think it's the hand of God that got them out. But in any case, uh, they, they were allowed to leave and go on vacation to the country of Jordan, but they were not allowed to take the kids. So we had four, four little kids. I was the oldest at the time. I was seven and um, had two brothers and a sister that were younger than me. And they left, and uh, we didn't see them again for another year and a half. Uh, at one point... Communists showed up in my grandma's house where we were and said, uh, here are the kids' passports. You have five days to get out of the country. You have to get them out of the country. And they put us on a plane to um, to JFK, and uh, we, ended, we, we ended up uh, being reunited with, uh, with our parents in the 
in the fall of, um, of 1987. Uh, that was in Portland, Oregon, where they met. And there's quite a story on how to get there. I think we talked about it last time I was yeah, here, so yeah. I'll skip that part. But ultimately, um, we, you know, my parents did, did sacrificed everything, they risked everything, to to come to this country because it was a city on a hill, because there was freedom, because there was religious freedom and also economical freedom and and freedom of thought, uh, which are all the things that are really under attack now, um, as as we see from the from the socialist left uh, in particular, and sometimes from confused. Um, so-called Republicans as well, but mm. we can get into that later. So I'll I'll, mm-hmm. I'll 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 pass the rest of the time to my esteemed colleague here, uh, Chairman Kwan Win. Um, different continent, different country. In many ways, similar story. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I, and I'll follow up with uh, Speaker Toma here. I was born in 1962, and uh, I was born three years before the escalation of the Vietnam War. You know, with the Americans and so on. And I live. Um, through the entire war all the way until about uh, six days before the fall of Saigon. Um, had the uh, opportunity to be on one of the last seats in the C-130 to fly out of Vietnam. And uh, so made it to the States. But in between, you know. Um, so you're 13 when you leave-ish. About 12 and a half, 12, yeah, 13 okay. years yeah. old. Mm-hmm. And my dad was actually born in 1920. Okay. So he, as a teenager, had fought against the French occupation. Mm-hmm. And then the Japanese came, you know, to Indochina during World War II. Uh, and then after they lost, uh, you know, my father fought in that war as well. And after that, he, uh, the country was given back to the French. And so he went back to fighting the French again. And then in 1954, um, the DMZ was opened up for one year so people can go back and forth, north and south. So he went south and joined the, um, the Arvin, which is the uh, Republic of South Vietnam, and Became an officer and fought all the way until uh, 1973, which is the same year where Americans actually, you know, left Vietnam. Um, and so uh, we got here, and like Ben, you know, we found freedom in the United States. We found opportunities, uh, educational opportunities, um, and and you know, to me, this is the greatest nation in the world. And, and look, you know, he's fleeing from Europe. We're crossing the Pacific Ocean to get here. And so you have to ask the question, why did we leave? You know, and somehow, um, I, I think the movement is coming back. Socialism and communism yeah. is coming back. And somehow there's an idea out there that says that United States can actually do this much better right. than the Soviet Union, right. Cuba, they Vietnam. They just did it imperfectly. Right. Exactly. Right. It is a curiosity, both of your stories, uh, as any refugee story, um, if it's fair to use the word refugee, political refugee, I think it is fair in both these cases. It is interesting that it's only free countries that have um, immigration problems. Communist countries don't have immigration problems. Every day in the news, we have the illegal immigration story upon us, which is regrettable and terrible in its own right. But there's a reason we have this problem. China does not have this problem. People are not risking life and limb to get into China. People are not risking life and limb to get into Cuba, it still says something about the kind of country we have and the kind of countries those are, doesn't it, Mr. Toma? I mean, absolutely. That, that's even in the context of states, since right. we often deal with the yes. you know, state level yes. issues. Yes, it's the same thing. It's like, yes. you, are the doors swinging in or yes. are they swinging out? Right. You know, if they're swinging out, everybody's trying to bail, right? If they're swinging in, everybody's trying to come in. Yes. That's you know, obviously more of a economic type decision when it comes to states or within the U.S. But when it comes to countries in the rest of the world, look, the reality of it is 
America was a city on a hill. Yeah. And it's still seen that way by 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 the vast majority of right. the world's population. Yeah. Hence them wanting to come here because there's opportunity. You know, and it's kind of interesting. There's all this debate about entitlements and all, and all those other things. They're not coming here for entitlements. Right. They're coming here for opportunity. Yeah. And, by, and the way they see and the way the average immigrant sees opportunity is that, you know, I have, I have, a, I have a blank slate. I, I can build something. I can build a better future for my family, for my kids. If I work hard, I'll be rewarded. That's the narrative that's out there that's fueling all this, uh, all this interest in transition and all these people willing to risk everything to come here because they don't have those same opportunities wherever they're coming from. And just so, I mean, yes, yeah, so your, your family crossed the Pacific, mine crossed the Atlantic to get here. Um, but, you know, communism has failed and socialism really has failed everywhere in the world. It's not just Asia and Europe. It's Central America. I mean, look at Venezuela, the, the, you know, the epitome of, uh, of paradise, right, in terms of economic um, uh, development and so on. Of course, that's highly facetious. But the, the point is it's, they, it's failed everywhere. It's destroyed countries everywhere. And it only works as long as there is, there is some sort of um, wealth of the nation when communism took over for them to cannibalize. And eventually they run out. Yep. And when they do, it falls apart. And that's what we've seen over and over and over again. And the only thing, the only equality you have under communism is equal misery for all, uh, with a very small exception of those that are that are elite, that are in power, that that don't live like everyone else. But the vast majority of the population in every one of those places is is equally miserable. That is a uh, that is redolent of a line from Winston Churchill's, as I recall it. Uh, uh, he said it really well, just on that very point. We'll go into commercial and come back with that thought. He said the inherent vice of capitalism is the unequal distribution of wealth, but the inherent virtue of socialism is the equal distribution of misery. And I think we sometimes forget that, but you didn't even realize you that's were paraphrasing awesome. Churchill that, that's so right. right there. When we come right back from the commercial break, I want to ask Chairman Wynne, Juan Wynne, um, and then I want to ask you as well, Speaker Toma, old friend of mine passed away a few years ago as a professor at uh, Ashland University, came here from Hungary, uh, circa 56, important year of 1956. He said to his dad when they were coming here, he said, why are we going to America? And he said his dad told him, we were born Americans, just in the wrong country. I would like to have you sound off on that, Mr. Wynn, when we come back, and Mr. Toman, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. This is a very special um, hour for me. Uh, delighted to have uh, in studio with me uh, Speaker of the Arizona House of Representatives, Ben Toma, and Chairman of the Arizona House of Representatives Judiciary Committee, Quan Nguyen, talking about communism, their experiences of it, and the importance we should probably think about at some point taking this on the road because young children aren't learning the uh, inherent problems of communism. Uh, Juan, you know, it's interesting. I was thinking about Ho Chi Minh this morning, who kind of was the, the, the font of communism in Vietnam. He picked up so much of this philosophy from Europe and from America, as I understand it. You know, the leftists in Europe and America through all, all his travels. Yes, Mao and China, but really here, I think he was a student of Marcus Garvey's at one point. It's, it's an ideology that doesn't know geography. And I, I raise that point to quote my friend who departed a few years ago, Peter Schramm, who escaped to hear from Hungary. And when he asked his dad, 
why are we going to America? He said, we were always Americans who were just born in the wrong country. Did that kind of idea suffuse your family in the 1970s when you came here, Chairman Wynn? You know, as a young man, I, I don't think I was that philosophically educated. Uh, yeah, okay. How's that? All right, mature. And, and mature, <laughs> yeah. mature. Um, so when I got here and I realized that, you know, you do have to learn a language and you do have to assimilate, um, that was my motivation to um, to study really hard. And the the end game is always being an American. Yeah. And I've never seen myself anything other than being an American. And uh, so when people said, you know, you're Asian-American or you're Vietnamese-American, I, I, I'm just... I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, I had a conversation with uh, a representative, and representative wanted to have um, an AAPI uh, caucus, uh, Asian-American Pacific Islander caucus. And I said, I, I really, you know, I, I want to know what you guys are going to be talking about. And she said, well, we want to talk about AAPI issues. Yeah. And I say, I'm not interested because I want to talk about Arizona yeah. and America's problems. Oh, that's beautiful. Uh, I'm not interested in AAPI issue because AAPI within the state of Arizona is still Arizonans. Yeah. Yeah. We're not any different. And so, you know, so I form my Asian caucus, right? And so what do we do with my Asian caucus? We <laughs> go out and have dinner. And one of the things is that if you talk about politics, then I I will revoke your membership, right? Um, you know, just just to be out there. But to your point, a lot of us dream of being Americans. We're not dreaming of being a part of Ho Chi Minh, right? You know, no nobody wants to say, you know, I want to go to North Vietnam because I love Ho Chi Minh. Right. But we can all agree that we're coming to America to be Americans. You know. We we don't have a name like you know we don't we don't have a name that we worship yeah like Ho Chi Minh or Stalin or or Pol Pot yeah you know, speaking of Pol Pot too when's the last time we hear about the killing fields right. of Cambodia right buried buried I, in the history books I I haven't heard anybody mentioning it three million deaths maybe yeah two yeah. two million deaths yeah. everybody that had an eighth grade education on up right. right. So why do we do that? Because we can't control people who are well-educated. Yeah, yeah. We can't control people who are full, that didn't have a food problem, or we can't control people that um, that have arms, you know, like in the United States with that thing called the Second Amendment. Yeah. And so when you have those three things get together, they, they, they become quite um, interesting uh, under the wrong leadership. Chairman Wynn makes an interesting point, Speaker Tillman. It's something Ronald Reagan talked often about that, you know, here we sit, Americans, Arizonans, my family, Lithuanian, his Vietnamese, yours Romanian, and we're all equally Americans, and we consider ourselves Americans. I don't think of myself as a Lithuanian-American probably any more than you think of yourself as a Romanian-American. Couldn't go to Romania and be a Romanian. Couldn't go to Vietnam from here and be a Vietnamese. I wouldn't consider my. I couldn't go to Lithuania and be called a Lithuanian. It's a very interesting, uh, distinct point. But to the other thing, uh, Chairman Wynn was talking about with regard to communism, and you were mentioning earlier about people thinking we can do it better here, and there is a movement here like never before. Polling of young people. 49% of Generation Z now thinks that communism is a viable 
uh, socialism and communism are, are, are should be as viable as capitalism, according to the most recent poll from the victims of communism. People will often say, well, Marxism is great in theory. It's just bad in practice. And I think that's where the mistake happens. It's not good in theory. It It, it should not be romanticized when you think about getting rid of religion or getting rid of the family, right? It is not a great theoretical concept any more than it is an actual, an actually good concept in practice. It cannot be done. Well, you know, there's so much to say about that. But to be charitable to, to especially young people that tend to be more susceptible mm-hmm. to idealism, yeah. you know, communism sounds great, mm-hmm. right? It, they, they think it's, it, it's, it sounds fair, it sounds good, each according to you know to their to their need and from each according to their ability or yep. whatever the phrase right. is um so that sounds great the problem is it does it ignores human nature mm-hmm. and 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 it doesn't work in the real world so you know it, it, you can you can dream about some sort of um, perfect society where this would work perhaps but it's not ever worked in the human in any sort of human context up to this point and so that's really fundamentally the issue is that it just doesn't work, and we have to be realistic about what does and doesn't work um, in, in the context of human beings. And you know, the the, fra- the founding fathers of of America, uh, of this country, of the United States, realized that there have to be checks and balances, and that you cannot that you cannot force charity. And ultimately, that's I think the idea that's the fundamental um, mistake at the heart of of even the most idealistic charitable communist is that somehow they think you can force charity and so therefore it'll work but it doesn't work charity by itself doesn't i mean even the concept of charity is no longer charity if if you're forcing it right so so that's really fundamentally wrong and it doesn't work and we've seen it not work as i've said before all over the world in every context in every culture and there is no reason to believe that it'll be any different here um I mean, I don't even know what more to say about it other than it just doesn't work. It's humans are not like that. They're they're they, they're motivated by different things. And what makes an American an American is the thought that, you know, I'm going to I'm going to have opportunity here. And, and it's on me, not on uh, not not for the government to provide for me. It, it has to be the suppression and elimination of human nature uh, to. Uh, even get a starting chance. Karl Marx said his goal was to change human nature, but we are a country that was founded on the laws of nature and nature's God, understanding that these things are immutable and not changeable. That's the conflict. Communism wants to act as God. And when we come back, maybe I can ask you, Chairman Wynn, a little bit about something Speaker Thomas said, which is the attraction of young people. Why are young people attracted to it? I'll throw out my thesis right before the break, which is they're attracted to it because we stopped teaching what it means to be an American. And Marxism is a strong doctrine, and you can't fight a strong doctrine like Marxism with a nullity, with nothingness, which is what our schools are teaching about America. Would you weigh in on that when we come right back? Chairman Huang Wen is my guest, along with Speaker Ben Toma. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Privileged to have Chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Juan Wynn, in studio with me, along with Speaker of the Arizona House, Ben Toma. Uh, we're talking about communism, socialism, and its growth and attractiveness in the United States. Speaker Toma was making the point that more young people are attracted to it now than ever before. 
Marxism is a strong medicine. It's a strong doctrine. You know, bin Laden was right about one thing. People will, will fo- rather follow a strong horse than a weak horse. And our schools have stopped teaching the strong medicine that was our American Revolution. You know, natural right, natural law, liberty, freedom, equality, freedom and equality, right to property. That used to be considered strong stuff. So we're trying to fight, I think, we're trying to fight a strong thing like Marxism with basically a nullity, a nothing. And surprise, surprise, we remove the um, organ and demand the function. It doesn't work. Yes, it's our schools. Yes, yes. Uh, Speaker Toma, thank you for bringing up that point. Um, If you can believe it or not, back in 1956, the Flagstaff School District actually taught the evil of communism Mm -hmm. as a curriculum back then. And I remember reading comments from the students back then. Remember, the majority of those students actually went on to fight in Vietnam, communism in Vietnam. And I remember one student, a senior, actually said, um, I always hated communism, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, but after taking the class, I have a reason to hate communism, yeah. and we're lacking that right now. And and just to move forward, um, I introduced House Bill 2008 last year to require the State Board of Education to develop curriculum to teach the evils of communism. And Speaker Toma, at the time Majority Toma, uh, Leader Toma, um, actually signed on to the bill. And by the way, I just wanted to to have two people sign on to that bill. So hard to get them to sign on. I have a feeling me, that was an easy lobby. And, and, <laughs> okay, uh, all right. And Speaker Toma. <laughs> and we need to bring that education back. Yeah. Now, why is it so attractive to young people? You know, when you have an iPhone, a nice car, um, you know, three meals a day, it's really easy to get in, fall into that trap of, you know, Everybody should be equal. Everybody. And, you know, like he said earlier, Ben Thomas said earlier, we're equally miserable. Right. And more than that, we're equally dead. Because if you look at more than 100, 100 million people killed, I mean, nearly 70 by Mao, mm-hmm. another couple of millions by Ho Chi Minh, Pol Pot, a couple of million people. Um, so we, we, don't, we don't remember that. And I said just a little while ago, we don't even remember Pol Pot in the killing right. fields. Right. So now the young people are looking at it and saying, you know, we ought to try this. But my way of thinking is talking about the swinging door. Let's swing that door outward and have you go to North Korea, go to Vietnam, go to all these other places, Venezuela, and live it. But, but don't be spending time on your iPhone here singing the tune of Karl Marx. It just doesn't work that way. Can I? Uh, yeah, in? I want you to talk about that, and I want you both to address also the interesting thing about these communist leaders that don't live like that. You know, Brezhnev liked his Mercedes and his Dachas, right? And Julius Malema in South Africa, the communist leader there, he lives very, very well. Anyway, Mr. Toma, sir. Well, I think central to the communist system everywhere is, and essential to the ideology is the elimination of, of God and sort of traditional morality. And because you can't make it work, you can't make communism work. You can't get people to, to, uh, to, to, to obey and to buy in if if they have a higher, if there's a higher power, if there's a higher moral code, because mm-hmm. the state can't then define the moral code. So, I mean, for Americans, by and large, you know, especially those that are used to personal freedoms and and um, and rights that the Constitution 
that the Constitution's grant. I actually had to look it up here, but it's uh, this quote always caught me and, and meant so much to me, which was, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. John Adams, and he's absolutely right. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Once you, they, you have to kill God in order for communism to work. And then once you've killed God, you can get away with all the atrocities that Chairman Wen was talking about. And, and, and you can get away with all the inequality, actually. With, you can have a, a dual class system where the vast majority are, are, are miserable. And then there's these elitists that have nothing but, I mean, look at um, uh, North Korea's leader now, yeah. right? He's right. got his, 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 his crazy, luxurious lifestyle yeah. while, while his people starve. Right. And that's happening all over the world. And it's happened all over the world. Uh, under communist leaders. Short segment. We'll have a longer one coming up. I'll turn to you, uh, Chairman Wynn, to address that when we come right back. I'm Seth Leibson, delighted to be in studio with Speaker of the House Ben Toma and Chairman of our Judiciary Committee, Juan Wynn. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Chairman of the House Judiciary House Judiciary Committee, Quan Wynn, is my guest along with uh, Speaker of the House of Representatives, Ben Toma. It's a delight having you both with us. You both kind of like my music, and I was thinking only in a country of freedom can you create this kind of thing. You don't have those kinds of creations in communist societies, do you? But we can come back to that in a moment. It's a little more prosaic than what I wanted to hear from you, uh, Chairman, when you wanted to weigh in on what uh, Speaker Tomo was saying in the last segment. Right, and and I think the, to add on to the conversation, we have to look at the family unit. Yes. Okay. Yes. If we don't have the family unit, uh, we don't have the strong religious foundation, and we're not asking you to follow the one you know, sponsored religion. We're not saying that. We're saying educational foundation, religious foundation, love from parents and siblings. Um, you wouldn't have to look outside for another source of whatever it is to make you happy. And here's my point. When I was a little kid, my dad taught me, he said, do you know how communism can be very successful in a community, how it, it grows? Yeah, I was maybe eight, ten years old. I said, "Well, tell me, Dad." Uh, he was also a political analyst, and he said, um, "The best way for communism to uh, succeed is for people to drive wedges between family members. Because remember, when you have a strong family unit, you don't have a problem. But they start driving wedges between husband and wife, between siblings." to a point where no one can trust anyone else. So the only way for you to survive is to look at the government. They tell you what to do. They tell you how to think. They tell you what to eat, when to eat, how to eat, what to do. So I'm starting to see those wedges being driven into families here in the United States, right? And when I say family, I'm not talking about mom, dad, and family now. I'm talking about a political party. See where I'm going with that? Yes. You have people driving wedges to make sure, well, you know, I might be just a little bit more conservative than you. I'm better than you. We need to get rid of you. Uh And I'm I'm seeing the similarity there. I'm not calling anybody a communist. I'm just saying I'm, I'm recognizing the similarity between what my dad taught me and what I'm seeing today. For those of us that studied Marxism and know it or lived it, as you did both, both of you did both of those things. When the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, matters movement, 
uh, came to the fore in 2020 and came out with an educational platform, one of the uh, planks of which was the dissolution or the disruption of the traditional Western family. That was one of their planks. And this was an organization that was founded by self-declared Marxists. Uh, Many of us recognized that from Chapter 2 of the Communist Manifesto. Karl Marx says very explicitly the family is in the way of the proletarian revolution because we see uh, in communist countries uh, children think of the leader of the Communist Party as their father. They will think of – you have heard of the Castros, my father Fidel, Stalin, you name it. In China, the the, the state is the – and in the welfare society too, you see this rather – Rather, dis- rather large disruption of the family where we are asking people to marry the state and the state becomes all-providing or all-consuming. Mr. Toma, yes? Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, you've seen them do that um, with, uh, starting with the Bolsheviks and, and, and in, the, in the Soviet Union. In Romania, they did the same thing. Yes. They tried to destroy the family as much as they could. Not only that, but part of the way that they did that is by, uh, by forcing families that were uh, rural, for the most part, uh, fam, you know, farming and whatnot, and and growing that, that forcing them off of their land right. and forcing them into cities, into right. these, into these blocks. You know, they we call them block, but it was like a, it, it's like an apartment building, but there's these gray drab buildings. Anybody that's been in Eastern Europe has seen them, sure. and actually, I've seen even pictures of China and North Korea, and they all look very similar. Uh, it, 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 little little parenthetical, I, I, I can't let this go because you mentioned that earlier. Uh, picking on art for a moment, yeah, and and on and on beauty and on music, um, very little art or beauty. Or you music don't get Dolly out. Parton in Romania. No, you don't. Right, and, and that's because everything has to be everything has to conform. No creativity, and, right. and you can't be critical of anything. Right. right, and so and so much of of truth in music and in art has to has that anything that resonates anyway is based on truth. Right. And that's often critical of, of something. Going all the way back to Black Lives Matter, though, remember, they, they, their theory is you've got to destroy all these power structures. Correct. And they see the world in terms of uh, power structures of, of those that have that must be destroyed uh, in order for those that have not to, to, to flourish, right? Yep. Except, of course, once you burn it all down, as, as they did in so many, other, so many communist countries, then euphoria doesn't happen. What actually happens is control and oppression by the very few of the very many. Right. Mr. Wynn, I'll let you weigh in on that. And as a transition, I'll say one other thing about communism in the family. Uh, The communist countries uh, esteem not only just the ultimate dissolution of the family, but as much disruption as possible in the name of the ideology. They make heroes of children that will report on parents. You know, it's a very odd thing when we hear the president of the United States talk about the parents not having the children during the school hours. When the children are in school, they're not the parents, they're ours, right? That must scare the hell out of you. We are moving towards uh, communism. We just skipped the socialism, right? Socialism is only a stepping stone, right? And and I've said this for many years. The the difference between socialism and communism is one has an AK-47 already, and the other one is looking for one, right? (laughs) Uh, Simple as that. But I remember being in Germany last year, And, um, you know, I was in Berlin, and it's kind of interesting. I I started looking west, and it's so beautiful and colorful, right? And you're standing at the the former border, and you're looking east, and it's all gray and gloomy buildings, right? It's, It's still the same that way. Um, and I and I think that um, that uh, you know if you look at, you're looking at the merging of East and West Germany, 
you will see that uh, there's a group of people in the East that actually had no idea what to do after the merge. Why? Because they were so used to waiting in lines. And being for, told. Right. Being told what right. to do, right. what time to get up, when to go to work, bread, and so on. Um, so, yeah, it took a long time for the East to realize that, hey, our friends in the West are— And the same thing in Vietnam. You look at Vietnam, remember uh, the fall of Saigon in April of 1975. It took them 11 years later until 1986 to realize that, you know— um, we stole a bunch of good stuff from the South, which had freedom and economy. Uh, now that we screwed it all up, we really don't have an economic system to, you know, to grow the country. So guess what they did? They they had to reassess what the economic system is like and adopted the Western economic system, right? And now it's pseudo-communism in Vietnam, right? You have high-rises. But I want to make this point very clear. You know, what's beautiful about America is whatever is lacking, somebody will come up and said, I'm going to invent that. Go back to the rice fields of Vietnam as of today. Water buffalo is still being used. No one is standing up and said, you know, maybe I ought to call John Deere and see if they can develop equipment to replace the water buffalo, but they're not doing that. That's the big difference between United States and other countries. Milton Friedman went to China and he was shown a big dig and they were using, all these peasants were using shovels and he said, why are you using shovels? Why are they using shovels and not tractors? Certainly you have access to tractors. So the tour guide said, well, we can employ more people if they're using shovels. He said, well, you really want to employ them? Give them spoons. (laughs) We'll be right back. Oh, there's the aforementioned Dolly Parton. Okay, welcome back. Uh, thank you to Speaker Ben Toma and Chairman Kwan Nguyen for being in studio with us today. This is an hour. It went fast. We could do that. We should do hours of this. We should take it on the road. We should do it nationally. Short time we have left. I'm going to ask you each to take a minute. I'll start with you, um, Speaker Toma. If there was one thing you could communicate about communism to the young people of this state and this country, what would that be? And then I will ask Chairman Nguyen the same question. Well, if you still want to be in charge of your life in any way, if you still want to uh, not be told what you're going to do for the rest of your life, if you want to be able to provide for your family, if you want your hard work to be uh, rewarded and, um, and, and not uh, to be rewarded according to all the work you didn't do, or more importantly for others to be rewarded for your hard work, then communism simply doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And you, you, it's important that you take a look around the world Look in all the different cultures where it's been tried. Uh, I, I understand how it can be attractive philosophically, but you know you'll know by, know them by their fruits ultimately. And and the results are such that it's it's damaging everywhere in the world. It's 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 a horrible system that leads to incredible oppression. If you want personal freedom, um, and 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 you want fairness, and um, and you want to live a good life, it just doesn't work. Chairman Wynn. Um, you know, it's, uh, I, I can just simply put it this way. In a capitalist system, um, you are rewarded for your hard work because of the opportunities and, and there's a marketplace, out, the free marketplace out there for you to work on. Um, in a communist state, you will work five times harder and you are known as slaves. That's it. 
It's that simple. And so I would suggest to young people to go out and speak to people like Speaker Toma or myself and understand. Now, when we say evil, we really mean evil. When we're talking about over 100 million people killed, and by the way, unlike the Holocaust, it's still going on yeah, today. Right. So um, go and read those things. Remember, s- spots on the leopards just don't change. Yeah. They're, they're there. The system is not about rewarding you. It's about enslaving you. And I think young kids should really, truly understand that. For a country that claims to hate slavery as it does and should, they should claim to hate communism for the slavery that it, too, is committing before our very eyes. Speaker Toma and Chairman Wynn, thank you both. God bless you both. Thank you. Thank you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.